You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Your mother was a hamster, and your father smelt of elderberry! I am your father. Hello and welcome everyone to episode 16 of Sharp Angles. I'm one of your hosts, Rich. I'm here with... Danae. And Jeanette. And we're here to talk about one of the greatest movies of all time. Star Wars, episode 4, A New Hope. Yay. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> some people are excited, some people are not. Um, we'll, uh, we'll see in this episode. Say it again. Some people would be more excited if they weren't sick. So any enthusiasm that I do not show is not the movie's fault. There you go. There you go. So, um, so yeah. So, um, I guess in doing this, we'll do like the the first the first little bit of roundup. Um, there might need to be a new class other than fanboy <laughs> uh, for me in this Super title. Super fanboy. It's like, uh, like I don't know. Most and epic fanboy ever. <laughs> most like, okay. So let me just tell you a little bit, just to you know, just a just to preface this. So, my dad, uh, in 1981, recorded the first ever um, TV release of Episode Four: A New Hope that there ever was. They made a big deal about it. They had a special. Mark Hamill was there. Carrie Fisher was there. Was she high? Uh, probably, <laughs> um, it was a bad time for her at that point. Um, Harrison Ford was there, George Lucas, uh, countless members of the cast and crew, um, were talking about how the movie was made and all stuff. They had a front end special, um, where they talked a little about, about the making of, they showed the movie and then they came back and they talked about, you know, like fan impact and like that kind of stuff. Like they peppered the whole thing. It was a really awesome presentation. I still have the VHS cassette. I actually want to, you know what? I probably should uh, digitize that so make sure that you know eventually the the VHS cassette is going to give way and then not no longer function. So I should probably do that. We don't have a VHS player. Uh, I know of mm. places that have VHS players and uh-huh. digitizers, so I can probably make that happen. Oh, fair enough. So um, so anyway, <clears throat> so uh, but in this special. Um, there was an interview that they did with members of, you know, like just random people that were recalling their experience of watching Star Wars for the first time, or, yeah, that's what they called just Star Wars, because episode four, New Hope, didn't technically really exist. Um, in fact, in the theatrical version of the film, you see Star Wars and you see the scroll, and it mentions no, nothing about episode four. Nothing about A New Hope, nothing. Uh, you don't see that until the VHS release of uh, of Star Wars when Episode Five was already in existence and they were going to call it a trilogy. Um, so, And Rich knows this because he scoured the internet over the last month to find the theatrical release of Star Wars yep. in order to put encode it 
and burn it and put it on DVDs and Blu-rays for family and friends. Yes, exactly. And In a really legal matter. Yes, 100%, because I own every existence of Star Wars except for one. We talked about that before on some right. of the other podcasts. The only editions that I don't own personally are the uh, the re-releases on, um, on Laserdisc, um, which is technically the last bastion of the original uh, and, Star Wars trilogy. And the reason he did this... Is because well, wait, wait. Let's get into that first. We'll, we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, I, uh, let me. I just want to like do the do the preface. Okay. Right? So they interview all these people, right? And they ask it's one the prologue, folks. It, it is. <laughs> they ask one important question. Uh-huh. Okay. And that question was, how many times have you seen Star Wars? So then you're like, oh yeah, well I went in the theater, I saw it four times, and then there's some other guys like, oh I went and saw it like 15 times in a the theater. Oh I went and saw this whatever, and, and you know like. It keeps getting you know more and more and more and more and more, and finally there's this group of like people that were like, like some kind of like a, I think they were like members of like a church community or something like that, like a church choir, um, and then they're all standing on a stairwell, and then you know they say like in unison, it's like all together we've seen Star Wars, 315 times or 360 or whatever the number was, it was over 300 times. And then I was like, oh, wow, that's a, you know, like, that's a huge number, right? Like, insurmountable. Like, who, who in the world would watch this movie that many times? Well, I was like four, I was like five or six or something when I, when I watched this. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I started, when I started realizing what was happening, of course, I was much younger than that. I was like two or three when the, when the original recording happened. And I probably watched it a couple times, like, as a young child and, you know, started to kind of, like, fall in love with the world and all that stuff. But... Um, but when I went to, when I started in school in, in kindergarten, um, I started watching it every time I came home from school. So instead of like watching whatever it was on TV, GI Joe or whatever, I'd come home and I'd watch a new hope. And when I saw that, and hold on, roof. hold on. When I saw that, I, I looked, I looked at it. I was like, you know what? I can beat that. I can beat that. So I watched it every single day when I came home from school for about two years. And I can say, collectively, I've seen Star Wars greater than 400 times in my lifetime. And all, like, 360 or 350 of those times were in a period of time from when I was, like, five or six when I started in kindergarten until the, the end of um, the end of grade one and probably beyond because sometimes I'd come back you know, I'd come home even from like middle school or even in high school, and I'd be like, you know what? I missed that tape, and I'd throw it in and I just watch Star Wars again, because you know that's what you do um, when when you really like that film that much. And I totally did. And it got to the point where, as a young child, I knew the film so well, and because of you know, I guess how like memory and like you know retaining knowledge and stuff works when you're a young kid, <coughs> I could at any moment in time in school have somebody walk up to me and say. Oh, you know what? Say this scene from episode four, you know, or Star Wars as they were calling it. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I would just start and I would know what, who was speaking, what was happening, give details of what's happening, give like director's points of what's actually going on in the scene and be able to hum the entire score of what the background sounds were like without fail. I had completely memorized episode four of New Hope. Yeah, that goes way beyond Sam. So, so I mean, whatever that is, I'm that for this episode. 
So I'm going to just tell you, if you had been in school now, they probably would have diagnosed you with Asperger's. I mean, uh, maybe, but I, I just really like that movie. Like, really. Clearly. Like, really like that movie. Like, to the point where we just sat down and watched it, you know, for, for, for me. Like, the, I don't know. I lost, I lost count and stopped caring after I beat that record. So I'm probably up over, in a, life, in a lifetime now, I'm in the 36 years old, I probably saw that movie another hundred times after that. So, you know, whatever, like over 500 times or something like that. Like, it's crazy. Sometimes but, I wish we did a video cast because you should see the look on Jeanette's face. I mean, no, no, no. Do not throw me under the bus because I'm trying not to look at your face. <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's amazing. It's great. You know, and I still get the same feelings, uh-huh. you know, like the same, the same feelings. And I'll, I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll back off a second. So I can come back and, and, and talk about like key scenes and stuff like that yeah. in a second. But, you know, just like, it was an, it's an important movie to me, obviously, um, this clearly, particular one. It was formative, clearly. Yes, yes. It was so, formative in your development. I even wrote a, I wrote a piece about it. In, in school? Uh, in school. Wow. I went to the Art Institute of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. There was a writing assignment in my, my creative writing class, um, and I wrote a complete story about watching Star Wars for, well, seemingly, quote-unquote, the first time. Mm. It's very, a gold, <gasps> gold, very Goldberg-esque. Yes, yeah. very goldberg yeah. All right, so Rich is the fanboy fan of the apocalypse. That's what I got for you. Um, I don't know if that really covers it or not, but unless somebody can come up with something better, that's what I got. I mean, I guess the fanboy that would choose probably this movie to be the one piece of film if I was, like, locked it's away. too long. Too long a title. If it was mm-hmm. like fanboy for being locked away on an island. Uh, okay, still like, too long I, a title. If I could have one movie on an island, and that's it. That's all I could watch for the rest of my life. A New Hope. Done. Done. All right. I would say I. So I used to watch this with my dad when I was little, but I didn't remember most of it, to be honest with you. And that could be for myriad reasons. <laughs> Um, given my father's and my checkered relationship it's very Luke and Vader-esque actually Um, nice Vader might be more likable (laughs) wow not going to argue with that Um, so we should revisit that conversation in two episodes um so yeah, I Who doesn't whine as much or talk about caffeine and vitamin water. So yeah. even after seeing the Phantom should, Edit, though, we should also revisit that. <laughs> too, too <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So um, I remembered bits and pieces of the movie watching it, and I guess it it was good. It's hard. It's a hard thing to gauge because I think that. Part of the problem with my viewing of this movie is is it is colored by my, much like Rich's is, in very positive ways. Mine is colored by the past, you know, in in the 80s with my dad. And it was not a great time. I mean, I'm 34 years old. I can have, like, I have a handful of times that were good with my dad. And and that's being very truthful. Um, And so... 
maybe this is one of them, but my father is an alcoholic. He was drinking at the time. He's not a nice person when he drinks. Um, and so this is difficult in that sense, I think. I, you know, I think I bring baggage to the movie that has nothing to do with the movie. I don't know. Who, who knew yeah. Star Wars? Well, I mean, hey, it's, it's a very impactful, a very impactful film in in many in many ways for many people. Well, and um, for me, um, I was I was a late bloomer when it came to watching Star Wars. I think I was in my grandmother's living room in Trenton the first time I watched A New Hope. Um, that was probably when I was like thirteen or something like that. It was on TV, and as I remember. I thought Luke was cuter than Han Solo, which is one of the stupidest things ever. I don't know what was my problem. Um, don't worry, I came to my senses and realized that Luke is whiny and Han is hot. Um, however, at the I mean, at the time, I really, really liked it, and I went on to watch it uh, definitely not 500 times, but I've seen it, I don't know, at least half a dozen, if not a dozen times before. So when I went to watch A New Hope um, this time around, I was like, oh, you know, whatever. I'll just, I'll pop it in. I already know the whole entire movie. I'll pop it in. I have all this stuff to clean. I had just gotten back from um, from my parents for Christmas. So I had my suitcase and all my presents and stuff that I had to put away. And I figured I would clean while watching it. Except that didn't happen. Um, I was like, no, you know what? I really want to watch this from start to finish. And I sat down on my couch and all my trash and stuff was lying on the floor. And I just didn't care because... It was that good for me, even though, again, it, it's a familiar film, and yet I really, really enjoyed myself. Um, and, you know, one thing that really struck me was half the time, the the uh, camera crews and, and technological abilities of the film weren't as expected for the time period it was made in, and sometimes it was so extremely impressive, and there didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to that. So I just found that fascinating that I thought I'd throw out there. I just, I just think like it, it is sort of a classic film, and there are times that it shows its age. You know, when on the radar with the planes and things like that. You know, there are times that that you sort of go, oh yeah, this was made in the late seventies. Um, but then there are times that you forget that, you know, because it's sort of timeless, and and I, I think that that's the beauty of it. The story is also timeless. It's, it's. Well, it's good versus evil. Right. You know, it's a cl- they're the classic archetypes, you know, and, and it sets up something more, really. But it, it this movie in particular can stand on its own. Like, the ending is the ending. Mm-hmm. And there doesn't have to be another film following. And I think now right. you, you go into a movie and almost always the expectation is that there's going to be another, at least one more following. Usually it's a trilogy or a seven or however many movies follow it or eight because they have to break up the seventh into two because it's too long or they want to make more money. You know, I don't think that that's why this movie was made. This movie wasn't made to make money though. Movie. That's what the business of movies is. This movie was made to tell a story. And I think that's a, a, a different sort of gestalt in movie making than now Mm -hmm. to be very frank. Uh, I 100% agree. I mean, because I mean, this, the way this movie got made, this made this movie got made because of the the risks that movie studios took, or one in particular took, because Lucas took the script for this film 
to every studio in existence, and they all laughed at him, like mercilessly, just laughed at him. Um, he's just like, get out of here. What are you talking about? Space <laughs> opera? What is this? This is nonsense. Spaghetti Western in space was another was another uh, was another pitch, and they're just like, get out of here, kid. You know, like we're not even going to give you a dime to make this movie. This is not even no, not even cool. And then finally, he sits at at the table, you know, with with some folks at 20th Century Fox, and goes, "Hey, you know what? I'm kind of like up against the ropes here. I got this thing. Just tell me no and get it over with, you know, so I can just go about my business, you know. But I kind of really want, I really want to make this film, and I really want to make it happen. I think there's something out there. And you know what? They took a chance on it, um, and a big gamble. And the way that the the contract was written, it was it was kind of like to uh, it was kind of it was kind of telling, um, and an op- well, a fantastic opportunity for Lucas to to uh, do the one thing that'll never happen for a movie maker ever again um, in the history of film. Um, the way they the way they wrote the contract was all right, kid. Well, we'll give you the money to make the film, but they they wrote all of the residuals and the in the contract for the first film in such a way where they you know for a new hope the 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 contract was basically one-sided to the studio 100%. Like, they were just... Lucas got next to nothing for actual residuals on the film itself. And the the smart business move by Lucas was, was like, all right, fine. Well, you know, if I'm not making make any movie, you know, any money on the movie, you know, like, at least give me the rights so that I can, like, you know, print Star Wars on T-shirts and mugs and whatever. And, and give, me, give me the money for that. And they're like, yeah, whatever, kid. Uh, go make your, you know, 10 cents on your, on your T-shirts, kid. And well, that'll never happen again, ever. <laughs> um, because obviously, you know, no one knew that it was going to become the, the cultural phenomenon that it was. Right. Um, and and you know, basically, just that that one decision funded the next two movies and beyond. Because the, just the in that in that like cultural boom where everyone was just everyone had a Star Wars T-shirt, everyone had Star Wars mugs, people were buying the soundtrack like crazy. Like all that movie, all that money went to Lucas. All of it, you know, because he signed the he signed the contract right the right way. So, and and what an interesting sort of backstory that nobody wanted to fund this, you know, project. And here he had the tenacity to go through with it, you mm-hmm. know, and and really mm-hmm. push for this vision that he had and. And in many ways, this movie was part of the launch into that sort of space craze that that was established in the 80s. You know, it was yeah. definitely the, like one of the centers, the hubs of that cultural phenomenon. And I feel like we're having sort of a, a renewal of that right now. And that mm-hmm. we'll talk about in three podcasts from now. Um and we can discuss that, but I feel like there's a renewal of that sort of sense that 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 we saw as children uh, of the '80s. You know, I, I'm a child of the '80s. That's a child of the '80s. So at different times, you you sort of saw this cultural phenomenon of space and this this space opera, and then you know the movies that followed it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, had this this vigor behind it, and right. and people capitalized on it. So, can I just say, and I'm sorry for fixating, but again, I'm sick, so I'm going to blame it on that. Uh, operas have have like I don't know singing in them and Star Wars dance, so I think it was a little unfair calling it a, a space opera. Okay, I'm done. Okay, well, 
I mean, I agree with you. Um, right. Well, I agree with you, except for the fact that A New Hope, above and beyond any of the rest of the films in the in the saga that is Star Wars, A New Hope is the only one that, upon listening to the soundtrack, and it might be because I'm so studied in the film that I can replay it over in my head anytime I want, but it's the only one that when you listen to the soundtrack, the soundtrack literally paints the picture of the story throughout the entire movie. And you could almost just listen from track one to the end of the John Williams masterpiece of a score and be told the story. And that in, in, in and of itself, I know it's not operatic because there's not like some, you know. Some, Vader doesn't sing. Yeah, you know, no people singing <laughs> about all this stuff. But it's just the way that the movie presents itself. You know, it almost could have been a silent film. And you still would have gotten the point, you know. You still would have had those those impact in, impactful moments. Like, you know, for example, um, you know, binary sunset, right? The the uh, the scene where where Luke um, just found out that that R two ran away and he's going to get in trouble, and he's still longing for that exit, you know, to go to that you know the, those brave new worlds out there that he's never going to be able to see because he feels like he's locked down in this farm with his uncle who just keeps making him work over and over and over again. He's never going to get his escape. And he looks out onto the two sons to two sons that are just, you know, that are just setting longingly. Right. You watch that scene without his, without John Williams score. And it doesn't really mean much. You're like, yeah, okay. You see, he's like, you know, so the whiny kid just wants to leave, but you listen to it with the score behind it. And there's such a movement. There's such a push to, to see it. You could watch it and go, oh, I know exactly how I was feeling. Jeanette. Yes, thank you so much for calling on me today. Um, no, Luke is still a whiny kid. <laughs> oh, of course he's still a whiny kid. I'm not saying that, like, you know, it transcends his character or gives him some kind of power that, does, that doesn't mean anything. I just say, you know, like, without the Williams soundtrack behind it, that, that scene doesn't mean as, as much as it does. You know, and, like, the, the Battle of Yavin doesn't mean as much as it does, you know, without, without the score. You know the 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 ending the ending march, you know the ending march for for the you know the celebration after the destruction of the Death Star doesn't mean as much. You know, like the the feeling of the cantina doesn't mean what it means without the the funky music in the background. You know, like um, all all of the all of the the uh, the transitions between you know the different story movements um, well, even are, are, Vader. Told, are told by the by the the music by the score. You know, like you, you see every transition goes from like, you know, you get the themes of the force and Luke and and Obi-Wan. And then when you when you hear the that um, dun, 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 like every time it's like, oh, well, here. Meanwhile, in space, you know, here's what the bad guys are doing. And you know that it's coming because you hear the movement, you know, and I have to say one thing that I was I was thinking when I was watching all the movies is, you know, Darth Vader's particular theme music. It's as distinctive and um, powerful, long-lasting. I can't think of quite the right word, but as, as Jaws, you know? It's, 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 it's totally iconic. Exactly. It is totally iconic. Yep. It is, and everyone knows it. Everyone knows it. It is universal and iconic and and terrifying the same way Jaws is terrifying. I remember as a small child watching this movie and the terror that was struck in me as that 
Imperial March was playing right. and like the the and the presence of Vader as well, you know, that adds to it. But take away the the cape and the everything. It's a terrifying, terrifying, terrifying sound. Yep. You know, and, and not and, until I was older did I re- like did that like I don't know, terror not to be redundant, die down. Um, but as a small child, I just remember like paralyzed, being paralyzed with fear every time that march came on. Right. Well, and, it, and it's and it's even crazier because in A New Hope, we don't even get it. We don't even get the Imperial March until until uh, Empire Strikes Back. We don't. No, the we get hints at it, like there's there's threads, but the the the. Um, I mean, the Imperial March gets synonymized with Darth Vader because that's mm-hmm. becomes Darth Vader's theme in air quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the theme of the of the Empire, the theme of of uh, of the the bad presence in A New Hope, was just simply the was just simply that 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 trumpet, you know, cadence, and then some like low level, like almost like draws, mm-hmm. you know, da 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 da. Like that's you know, and then dun, 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 you know, like that. That you hear that instead of the Imperial March. I didn't even realize, to be honest with you. I didn't. I, well, I mean, again, I've watched all, all three plus the Phantom Edit in uh, <laughs> five days. <laughs> Which we're gonna have words when we get to that. Uh, I, I, I will share them with you. <laughs> Believe uh, me. No, you can't share. But again, we'll we'll talk about it then. All right, that's fair enough, fair enough. But but it's just like. Uh, Man, I, uh, I don't know. Like, uh, it. A lot of people, like, I guess we'll have this this part of the conversation. We can like readdress it in our next episode. But almost everyone that I talk to about Star Wars, um, we talk about the original trilogy, of course, because it's you know the holy grail of movies to the, the the space geek or the you know like you know geeks in general. It's just like you know Star Wars is it, right? There's nothing. Epic in general, I would say not not just the geeks and nerds, but I mean it's just epic. It's an epic right. series. Exactly. Um, but you ask them, all right, cool. What's your favorite Star Wars movie? <coughs> and nine times out of ten, you ask that question to just a random person on the street, and they're going to go Empire, 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 Empire. Somebody out there is going to be like, oh, I like Jedi. And then <laughs> if they were standing next to a person that liked Empire better, they're going to be like, well, Empire is better. Yeah, you know, because that's what the person that likes Empire is going to say. But then you ask me, and my answer is always a new hope. And the reason why it's a new hope was because of something that Danae mentioned earlier. It's the only member of the Star Wars saga that can literally stand on its own. It has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end. It tells a complete story. You can just take it off the shelf and go, forever locked in time is this movie, and it just exists without anything else. You don't need to worry about what happened. You don't need to worry about Vader. You don't need to worry about, like, any of the other adventures. Of course, you want to, and then you can, like, kind of, you can kind of make up your own story as you go. But without A New Hope, there is none of the rest of the saga. Like, none of it. you, You can't watch Empire and go, oh, okay, well, that's that makes sense. So you have no idea what the heck is going on. You know, because it's already established. You, you've, had, you've had the establishment of 
you know, farm boy, farm boy Luke Skywalker, and why is he still so whiny, and why is he doing all this stuff, and who's this crazy ghost talking to him? You know, like, no, none of that. You don't get any of that stuff unless you watch A New Hope. You have to have it. Um, He's really my, whiny, though. He is really whiny. And um, that doesn't stop. But, well, but you know what? That didn't stop... This time around, though, I have to say, I was like, okay, yeah, he's whiny, whatever. But uh, he was not as whiny as I remembered him to be in Luke's defense. Okay. Well, I mean, but that's part of the reason why, like, all right, everyone's going to call him whiny. Like, you know, my my five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, thirty-six year old self wanted to be Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker. Where everybody else wanted to be Han Solo. Uh, no, no, no. Every every girl watching wanted to be with Han Solo. No, every, but every guy <laughs> wanted to be Han Solo. That's very true. I, I will tell you, you, ask, you go out in the street and you ask, which Star Wars character would you want to be? And you ask a guy, and he's going to say Han. And you ask a girl, and she's going to say, I want to be with Han. That might be true, but I will tell you that when I when I was a kid, and this is part of the sort of perhaps discoloration of this movie for me. Um, I had a huge crush on Luke Skywalker, enormous crush on Luke Skywalker. I know you look at me and, and, but my father teased me mercilessly for it. Like Uh, I said, worse than Darth Vader. And, um, so every time he put on the movie, he'd be like, we're watching your boyfriend. And, you know, he wasn't a nice person. When he was drinking, generally, I don't know. (laughs) Biased. It's hard to. I'm sure people think he is. I don't know. Um, Okay. Anyway, different topic. So that is hard. It's hard for me to separate myself from that too. Like that sort of the shame that that's associated. So this podcast is on the difficult side for me because I didn't remember some of this. So you know being an adult child of an alcoholic, you block things out. And, and there are things that elicit memories. And I was sitting there watching this movie. I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> I remember this. This is terrible. <laughs> and not for the reasons, not for the same, not for any fault of the movie, to be honest with you. So, like, that's a difficult conversation to have in a sort of public forum. or You know, it's one thing to have it with the two of you and a whole other thing to sort of put that out there <laughs> that makes any sense yeah. oh whatever <laughs> now that that takes a, a certain level of evil to ruin star wars <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say on the subject that's true that's yeah. true <laughs> the force the the dark force is you know strong with that one except that but that i think that's giving him too much credit <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so but again, we'll we'll have more of this conversation later off the air. Yeah. Sorry, keeps. No, it's all good. It's all good. But I think in terms of a story, I mean, it is a classic good versus evil sort of hero rising from adversity kind of tale. There's nothing you can do. I mean, people have ruined that story before. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. there, there, there's a milieu of stories that have been ruined. Um, but like this classic archetype and and even the the humble origins and the whole thing it's very um it is a very solid story it, it's a classic story it it is a classic at this point 30 years later 30 40 right. 40 years later um, 1979 
1977. It'll so be, almost 40 years it'll be later. 40 in, in, in 2017. Mm-hmm. So next year. Yeah. It'll be 40. So this is like one of those, this is going to go down in history as one of those like greatest films of all time yep. kind of things. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and, and of course, you know, bringing in, even though, you know, I have such an adoration for this this movie bringing up such um such a controversial topic right now um might be might be shocking but some might say that the story has already been told um because a lot of people out there that you know kind of want to you know like bring up oh well lucas didn't just have this idea he was a fan of spaghetti westerns Mm -hmm. you know like the reason why they were calling it a spaghetti western in space was because well you know, Lucas had such an adoration for those those kind of serial movies when he was growing up, right? There was one in particular that has a very similar story, mm-hmm. um, and it was a John Wayne film called The Searchers. And in that film, you know, there is young Buck, kind of farm boy kid, you know, and has his head in the clouds, wanted to go on some some you know damn fool adventure with with uh, with with somebody, and he doesn't know who. And, you know, some, uh, you know, I, I think it's actually American Indians or something like that, you know, come in and attack, attack the farm and kill, kill the caretakers that he was with, which I think might have actually been his aunt and uncle. <laughs> um, and in comes John Wayne. And he's like, hey, Kurt, let's go on this adventure. And then they go and, you know, figure out a way to, to avenge the, the death of the, uh, the aunt and the uncle character. Um, you know, and I'm assuming there's a hot chicky poo in there somewhere. Uh, there might be, and you know, and there might be like some other like tellings about you know, like a social commentary or something like that, and you know, threaded in there. I watched the movie I think twice um, when I was back in the art institute, um, and uh, and I, I analyzed it because I was like, well, how close to a new hope is it? You know, in the front half of of the searchers. Is very very close um, to a new hope, so you can you can obviously tell that you know Lucas might have been drawing inspiration, maybe a little bit even too much of inspiration um, from that storyline. But that being said, to be such a fan of something else, um, and then maybe to retell with a twist is is just Hollywood's way, you right. know? Like it's it's, it's it's all storytelling in many ways. Exactly. You know? There's no cre- original idea under the sun. Right. Right. right, and and that it, that dates back to BC or well, BCE, yeah, depending on how how yeah. you look at it. But yeah, you know this these are stories that are told in the Bible. In you know pre, this is this is not new, right? Of course, you know. And, but I think it's it's the way that you know, like I, I've watched the Searchers, mm-hmm. and I still don't remember what happens in the end. Okay, you know, like that that movie doesn't have or hold that much impact to me, even sure. though, even though like, you know, it is, it is something that's very, very ana- analogous to, to stuff that happened in, in Star Wars, but it's the way that it was presented. It was a way, it was a way that that story was newly presented in A New Hope right. that makes it memorable and makes it impactful for the rest of the rest of the audiences all over the world. You know, like, okay, yeah, it might be, it might be something that was borrowed or whatever, but you know, in this reimagining, let's call it then, it's just so well done that it's just, you know, there's, it's undeniable that, that, um, you know, yeah, it might not, might not be quote unquote true, but like you said, 
you know, like what else is anymore, you know, like besides, you know, the the classic tales of old that, that told the original, you know, good versus evil tale. I mean, right. that's that's it. I mean, you, you could go back and draw an, an analogies to just about every movie that came out this year. Right. You know, to, to that time, that kind of thing. Go ahead. Okay, well, now, I feel as if now, now that we praised it to high heaven, which it deserves, don't get me wrong, if I was going to rate this, it would it would have an easy 4.5. Because, again, I've watched it multiple times, and I still real, I was still drawn right in, mm-hmm. and I was captivated the whole time. Um, so, great movie, hands down. Sure. At the same time, one thing that really bothered me, mm-hmm. other than seeing Luke and Leia kiss, knowing that they were brother and sister, which is really a little disturbing. Yeah. Um, well, Luke, Luke gets a cheek peck. I mean, you could do that. No, kiss, no. Kiss your brother on the cheek for luck. No, it's he, she doesn't kiss him on the cheek. She kisses right on the cheek. Really? Right on the cheek. Look like the lips to me. Cheek. I mean, not open mouth or anything, but still. Nope. Okay. Definitely right. on the cheek. I will, I will take your word for it, <laughs> Obi Wan. <laughs> but why? But speaking of Obi Wan, I still don't understand why he had to die. Obi Wan? Yeah. Uh, he needed to. He needed to transcend. Because he knew he couldn't be in the X-wing flying around on that dangerous mission. Um, Why not? Because I don't know how many exactly. people you can't fit. You can't fit two people in an X-wing. Everybody knows that. He could have flown his own X-wing. Uh, that's possible too, because he was a Jedi starfighter. It's not only possible; it's probable. He yeah. totally but, sacrificed himself for nothing. But he sets it up actually, because Vader says to him, or Lucas sets it up, whatever. Vader says to him, you're weak. And he acknowledges it. And and actually, at the very beginning of the movie, when Luke first comes upon him and calls him Ben and says, you know, I'm looking for Obi-Wan. And he said, but my uncle says he's dead. And Obi-Wan says, I'm it's me and I'm not dead yet. Um, And then when he faces Vader, he says, Vader accuses him of being weak and he acknowledges it. He says that I am, you know, you know, he, he said, but if when, when you, or if you, I don't know what the phrase is, if you you kill me, I will be more powerful than you can ever imagine. How was he powerful? Well, because he's a force ghost. So because, because he, he was able to transcend mortal flesh and be able to communicate with all beings, no matter where they are through the power of the force. And I still don't see how he was all that much help to the to the rebels. Well, he was a big help to Luke. How? Because he convinced him to use the power of the Force to aid the proton torpedoes into that that tiny shaft to actually get in there. And you you could see the the clear and present example of the computer failing to do the same exact job when the computer aids the Red One, the Red Leader into doing the exact same thing, and he fails because the computer was miscalculating the actual shot. He couldn't have used the all-powerful force to do that while he was alive? Um, No, because he, again, would have had to have been in a starfighter and survived that battle. Which, you know, as... Yeah, okay, might he have been able to do it? Sure. But I don't know. I don't think, think, like, to be honest, if he got in an X-Wing... I mean, it's been 30 years... Since he got since he got into a starfighter of any kind, I don't know. I mean, I, if I hadn't driven a car in thirty years and then just got back behind the wheel, I don't know if I'd be able to race a Daytona five hundred. 
Yeah, but he was able to have a pretty darn good uh, uh, fight scene with the lightsabers with Darth Vader after 30 years. That's yeah, true. That's true. Yeah, but who knows whether he was practicing in his hut in the desert? <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Just... I, I just feel as if, like, he deliberately went out and sought that confrontation. He did. He deliberately let Darth Vader kill him. He did. He did. 100%. I just don't, I just don't think there was enough reason why. I think... That the story was a little lacking in that regard. Should have been more robust. Okay. I agree with that. I mean, he needed to find a way to pass the torch. And, like, Lucas. Lucas in writing. Luke was a baby in the Force. Right. Like, an absolute baby. And then Obi-Wan just deserts him. And, And, okay, not completely deserts him. He shows up every once in a while to, like, say something profound. Not in the next movie, just for the record. He absolutely does. Uh, Absolutely, but I agree. I... Kenobi is the one that shows up to Luke after after he starts like you know like messing around with his force powers and gets like almost eaten by the the um, was a Wampa in the uh, in in Hoth. He yeah. shows up to him and goes, "Yo, Luke, um, you're still not ready. You gotta go see my buddy. My buddy's I... in Dagobah. Go. You need to go to Dagobah." And he's like, "What, Dagobah? Dagobah system, Ben." David system Ben. Oh, you know. So we'll get to that later. But um, but if it wasn't for Ben showing up to him and going, "Yo, you gotta go to Dagobah," Luke would have never known where the hell Yoda was. But I think, I think, I will. I'll grant you that 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 his story, Ben's story, is lacking. I think it needs to be more robust. The movie was long by standards in 1977 as it was, though. You know, two hours and 16 minutes was a long movie. And which backstory are you going to pick? Especially since Lucas didn't know whether he was going to have the funds to do the next two movies. I'm assuming they were already written. Um, uh, he, he had written, he had written um, like, scripts out. Uh-huh. Uh, he wrote the entire saga as right. one, one giant massive thing. And then picked this story to tell from the beginning, where he had actually pre-written the the prequels in a, in, a, in another form, um, and chose to do a New Hope because he thought that's the that's the movie that that probably could get made. And then he left the other stories not necessarily fleshed out, but but the path, the right. path in which he would tell the rest of the saga if he was able to continue. But <clears throat> you're looking at this and and you sort of have a big picture moment and you say whose story am I going to focus on am I going to focus on the farm boy am I going to focus on the Jedi master and he picked the farm boy in this movie and and I would agree generally with a time constraint that doesn't exist so much in 2016 let's face it we we go for longer movies we love a three-hour film you know <laughs> Jeanette's like now <laughs> um, but, but Please. You know, Lord of the Rings, uh, The Return of the King was almost four hours. It was yeah, ridiculous. It was, it was really long. Yeah. Really long. And again, um, it extended edition when it came out on Blu-ray and DVD. Yeah. And, and there were like five times that I thought the movie was ending. Yes, that's true. Um, it was like Pirates 3. It was it was like, oh, oh, good, it's ending. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you're picking a 1977 Who's Story to Tell, I'm get, you know, you pick the... You pick the farm boy versus the Jedi Master, and I get that to some degree or another. I maintain that the story could have been told just as well, if not better, with Obi Wan still alive. I and I'm not arguing that. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think I would argue that either. You know, okay. but but um, and I think in 2016, 
Obi-Wan would have lasted longer. To be honest with you, if the story had been retold and, and just come out, mm-hmm. Obi-Wan would have lasted longer. He wouldn't have died in the first film. Well, but, I can, can I just defend my position, though, on how Obi-Wan is not relevant in, in um, Empire Strikes Back? Sure. Tries convincing, he flat out tries convincing, along with Yoda, uh, Luke, not to go save Han. If Han was not rescued, then things would have turned out a lot differently at the end of, uh, of Return of the Jedi. Um, I don't know. Luke got all ticked off because his friends were being hurt, not because uh, not because of his father or the Emperor. No, well, well, that was the path that he chose. He chose to go and save his friends. But the warning was, if you do that, then, you know, then, it, then it's, you know, it's possible. I mean, Yoda tells him directly that, it, you, you know, he's going to destroy everything that they fought so which hard. Which, which didn't happen because... You know, Luke was able to prove Yoda wrong, yeah. you know, which which is okay because that's showing his growth as a Jedi. Um, but 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 Obi-Wan ben- was right there with Yoda saying you shouldn't go, you shouldn't go, you shouldn't go. Yep. and both of them were completely wrong. So what's the well, point of their life? But if if Luke if Luke never went to Bespin, I think it's possible that Lando still would have been able to break him out, and. Han still would have ended up on slave on slave one going to going to Tatooine. Period. That was a deal. That was done. I disagree that Lando would have been able to break him out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he didn't really have anything to do with the stormtroopers. Luke just shows up, and goes straight for Vader. You know, Vader. Vader was Vader was trying to set the trap to um to do that. Luke shows up, and you know, Leia's like. Don't go there. It's a trap. He gets shot at a little bit, and then they start getting taken away. At that point, the Imperials know that they've got him. It isn't until Lando tells Lobot to go and and do his and do his thing, and then they ambush the stormtroopers after Luke has already engaged Vader. Right, right, but but the um, oh gosh, and we're totally. I know I totally got us off topic, and I apologize. That's all right. Uh, uh, and I'm also trying to think with, you know, cold head. Um, but Han had to disengage the, um, the whatchamacallit, the force field, the screen, the guard, whatever, in order for all of the force to take down the, um, the bad guys. You're talking about Jedi now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We were, talking about, we were talking about Empire before. I know, I know, but I'm saying I feel as if his efforts in Empire, uh, Obi-Wan's efforts in Empire, are not all that notable, except for, you made a good point, with, you know, he did send him to Yoda. Mm-hmm. Um, except for that, I don't think it was all that notable well, uh, the, because, of how, because of how Jedi turned out. Well, the, well yeah, you're, you're right. But the warning, the warning wasn't necessarily for, like, they were making an, an excuse to, to Luke. Like, oh, if you go there, you're going to ruin everything that your friends are trying to do. Don't just don't do it. What they were really trying to say was, Luke, don't go over there because we know what's going to happen, and we're afraid that you're not going to survive, like mentally, the impact of what's about to be happening. Like you know, like we're not sure that Anakin is going to reveal himself, but if that happens, we're scared to death that you might choose the wrong path because you're not fully trained, just like Anakin was. And when he when he reveals himself like that, you might choose the same path that Anakin did, and therefore we would lose like our 
what what they considered as to be their only hope, even though there technically was quote unquote another Skywalker. And I agree with you there completely, but they still gave bad advice, and therefore we're still not important. Yeah, well, I mean, they took a they took a crapshoot, and they chose the they chose the wrong thing to argue with them. And but you know, Luke at that point is still like punk teenager Luke, and he's like, well, I'm going to do it because I'm going to fight my friends. So like you know, like screw off, ghost ghost proxy dad and weird puppet man i'm out of here you know like uh, uh, that's it you know, that's, that's what happens but i mean you know like i, I think you know like, more more can be said about that when we when we actually get into this, this the discussion of tomorrow. empire itself tomorrow so um yeah well let's put that one on pause um and, so, and then get back into uh we're gonna hope we're gonna talk about uh, well i have a final talking point anyway i don't know sure because we promised Jeanette that this one last overly long given her current ailments. Yes. Yeah. Um, so in, in the painstaking culling of the internet that Rich did in order to get us the versions of the films that he it was able to procure both legally and with great effort on his part, um, we see a moment that is hotly, hotly debated amongst the fanboy community mm-hmm. and or the fandom community to be gender inclusive. All right, folks. Um, I'm sure everyone cares. In which there are T-shirts that state Han shot first. And I speak, of course, of the moment in the cantina in which Han is having a conversation with a Muppet about He's the, not necessarily a Muppet. Maybe it's, a dude in a suit. He's just then. a man in a mask, yeah. Um in what which is this, what is this name? Greedo. Greedo. I was like, it's Guido, isn't it? No, it's not Guido. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Guido. Guido. You know, that, that could be that mm-hmm. could be something else too. Who is who is a bounty hunter yeah. for Job of the Hunt, who is engaging Han in the um, fact that there is monies owed to Jabba and he Greedo says to him well pay me the money and I'll forget I saw you and Han says I don't have the money right here but I have it and Greedo says I, well then this is going to be basically and he, and he threatens Han's life um, and you see Han get his blaster ready. You know that there's like this this sort of impending conflict that's going to happen. Now, in the special edition, that is now the only edition that Disney allows out. Like, legit. Um, darn pirate mouse. Darn pirate mouse, I'm telling you. <laughs> um, you get a wide shot where... Greedo fires first and Han shoots him dead, right? And then he throws money at the cantina owner and basically says, forget this ever happened. Now, in the despecialized edition where we saw we get a cold-blooded murder by Han Solo because, as the t-shirts say, Han shot first. The guy threatens his life. He charges his blaster. Han charges his blaster the guy doesn't draw fire. There's no, there's no sort of, he doesn't reach for a blaster. We don't get any of that. There's no 
except for the words out of his mouth, there's no indication that he is going to shoot Han and Han shoots him dead at the table. Yep. Does this change impact or otherwise alter your opinion of Han is the question I have for the group. Well, I would say, first of all, and this is horrible to admit, I flat out will we'll start out with that, but um, it's, it's an alien. It's a non-humanoid yep. alien. So, no, not really. I don't care about him. Sure. Also, I don't have a relationship with Guido, and yes, I'm <laughs> going to call him that, because it's too funny. Um, I mean, we, we see him for less than five minutes on yeah. screen, you know, whereas Han... Let's face it, he's kind of cute and scruffy and everything. And he's not the original aggressor in that situation. Right. So your sympathies are not with Guido. Your sympathies are with Han. And and I tend to agree with you. Yeah. But it is a it is a topic that is hotly debated in terms of does this change Han's character? And and in my opinion, no. Like we know that he's sort of a a heartless yeah. mercenary, you know, like he is in it for himself. He makes that very clear. And we start to begin to see shades of character change in, in at the end of episode four, New Hope or Star Wars, depending on how you want to look at it, um, where he comes back to help Luke and he shoots some some of the um, Imperial Army and Darth Vader included um, where he and Chewie had just bounced and you thought that was the end of them, you know, or, or you're led to believe that. So I would agree with you. A, he's an alien. B, he threatens Han. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, a shoot first, ask questions later kind of situation, right. you know, and C, the expectation there is that you're on Han's side anyway. Like, well, but I, I think that you brought up a very good point, though, is that you already know right from the start what kind of person Han is. I Not to sound like a, a crazy fangirl myself, but um, there's a book that I'm sure fans everywhere have read, um, Tales from Jabba's Palace, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. All right. And so uh, the tale of, of Boba Fett, which I thought was really actually well done. Um, I haven't read it in forever, but... But, like, Boba Fett and and, uh, Leia have a confrontation, and she's like, you're a jerk. And he's like, excuse me, no, you think I'm a jerk? How about your little boyfriend there? You know, he runs Spice, which is a drug. And, you know, that affects people, and it kills them, and it makes them kill other people. So, really, what's your problem defending him and not me? And and that didn't faze me at all, even as a fan of Han Solo, because I was like, yeah, that pretty much fits his personality. Because you know, it's all about the money. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you know that right from the beginning about Han. Right. He, right. He's a transformational character almost as much, if not more, than Luke is. And I would agree yep. with that. Like, that, yep. that, that this whole progression in the movies changes him so he's practically unrecognizable, you know? <laughs> and so you get this this sense that he's more almost... I'm, more change because in the end when you see Luke at the end of and here we're getting ahead of ourselves but at the end of the return of the Jedi there's this sense that he's no different I mean he's more mature he's sitting in black but he's still sulking 
the same way he was when he was looking at two planets or two suns. Like there's there's not a different there's not a change in his expression, except that he he's seen more. He's more worldly, whereas Han is completely and totally transformed. I think I you know he's still his snarky personality that doesn't change that doesn't change. But the the but his values have obviously correct. The kernel of his character has yeah you know and and I think that. The Han we meet and the Han that shoots Greedo is the Han you expect, and and if the and if a bounty hunter is threatening my life, I might shoot him first too. Let's face it. Well, and also, and sorry, Rich, I know Danae and our co- I are completely taking over the conversation. However, in our defense, you did in the beginning. That's fine. <laughs> um, the other thing is, is that. You understand right from the beginning that Han and and it's made very clear Han and Greedo or Greedo or whatever um, they have they have a relationship already they know yeah. each other they recognize each other on site and it's not just oh Greedo has seen you know Han's wanted posters in Jabba's palace it no they they've had run-ins before and yeah. everything so Han already knows what to expect from him sure. mm-hmm. and therefore he's getting a jump on it and and there's a direness to. The the situation in which Greedo says, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. That's that's a man who's relishing the demise of another or an alien that's relishing the demise of an enemy. You know, and mm-hmm. and to show your hand like that is sort of stupid for a bounty hunter, let's face it, you know. And Han is the smart one in the situation just by the by proxy of the fact that he's the one who's loading his blaster surreptitiously and completely and totally anticipating the the situation which is part of how he's gotten out of so many sticky wickets before you know right. he's able to see the, the the big picture in the sense that like oh crap I'm in a lot of hot water type mm-hmm. of thing and and he's able to sort of skate out of it but you know and and that's a gift in and of itself and probably why he's as talented a smuggler as he is but you know the reality of the situation is I don't think altered or not. I, I think, the, I think actually it makes him weaker with the specialized edition. That's not the specialized edition anymore in which they changed the fact that Han shot first. I, I, you know, I don't understand the purpose except that they're trying to make Han less of a cold blooded killer. Right. Well, and, and in, and in this, you know, the call was made, um, you know the the other side of the argument is that the call was made by the creator. Lucas made that decision to change that because he wanted to tell everyone, well, look, when I wrote Han Solo's character, I didn't mean for him to be as ruthless and you know unscrupulous as as people are making him out to be. But I don't agree with that because even though yeah, you wrote him, it's your character, you can do whatever you want. Um, you know, thirty years later, that that's you know. It's done. You know, yeah. the, the character has molded himself into its own its own being. You so don't. I, con- so it has been written. So it has been done. Right. I mean, yeah. The, the, you know, the control is taken away from you. Yeah. You know, at that point, you know, like if you really wanted to make that change, reshoot the scene back in 1977. That's yeah. when you make the change. I agree. You know, like not not 30 years later and go, oh wait wait wait, this was really what what I wanted to do, and then to even further infuriate fans of of the film. Right before, um, right after that moment, Han goes to the the ship, the Millennium Falcon, to start like doing the prep, 
and he runs into Jabba the Hutt. And I was like, well, if Greedo was sent there to find to find Han, Han Solo to then claim the bounty, why then would it, you know, like, wouldn't it have been just as easy for Jabba to walk into the, the cantina? Yeah. yeah, you know he was right there, and he was sitting right at the Falcon, just you know to have this conversation. Yeah, and then you know they have this this moment, and in the special in the special edition, it really infuriates me because not only was was um was Han able to talk his way out of it, but he he talked his way out of it, and then belittles Jabba the Hutt, like steps on his tail yeah, and stuff like, like that, and I'm like, Jabba would wouldn't even stand for that at all. He would have just killed you. Yeah. Like, that would have been the end of it. They would have just turned, fired on the Falcon, blew it up, killed Chewie, and then murdered you in cold blood, and that would have been the end of that tale. Mm-hmm. You know? Luke, I, I, Luke, like Luke, oh, go on. Sorry. No, Luke and Ben don't make it off of Tatooine. They get captured, probably killed. End of story. Done. Mm-hmm. You know? So it was right to cut that scene out of the 1977 edition because you never needed to know Jabba. All you needed to know is the name. You didn't need to see him. You didn't need to know anything right. about him. He was just like, oh, that that Jabba, that Jabba dude, he's probably mean. You know, he probably means business, and it's like that's cold blooded. And when you finally see him in Jedi, we can talk about that later. He is imposing, you know. He's like, even though he's like this weird giant Muppet character, you know, like you can still feel like oh, he's really slimy, and he's got really weird powers. Apparently, like you know, you can kind of feel that he has an energy about him that. He doesn't even need to like really even speak, and when he does, it's even worse. Because then you're like, "Oh, this guy is really not cool at all," you know. But to make him like this weird, comical, like almost Jar Jarty like character in in the special edition, you you're completely taken away from <clears throat> the character you see in Jedi. Because how how does Jabba transform from the little tiny Jabba to the big giant puppet Jabba by the time you get to Jedi? Mm-hmm. What would he like? Did he eat all of his competition? Like, what happened? <laughs> you know, like, what, it's weird. It's, it's really, Possibly. It's, it's weird and, and doesn't fit mm-hmm. and had no place being there. But again, yet, you know, Lucas and therefore Disney decides, you know, this is it. This is, the, uh, this is your canon. This is the story. Well, and find something that both of you said in, one thing that Danae and one thing that you said, Rich, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, with the scene with... with Greedo, I have such a hard time saying that. Um, with the scene with Greedo, you know, Han Solo shows that he is very savvy and he's willing to take advantage of situations and he knows how to handle himself. And then with this, the situation with Jabba in that, you know, specialized edition, again, stepping on him is just stupid. You don't do that to someone who has a bounty out on your head because you owe him that much money. Right. That's, mm-hmm. That's not how you survive. And so, therefore, that completely and totally. Uh, negates Han's character. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and also, like, I understand in some ways the the idea that we don't want small children hero worshiping cold blooded killers. Like that that I would imagine was one of the driving forces in in change. They idolize Katy Perry. Oh my gosh. What I more? know. <laughs> like Han Solo is a much better choice. Um but I don't necessarily think it it means we we change the whole story like it just it doesn't make sense to me um and i and i thank rich for his painstaking efforts and calling the internet to 
and spending many hours um, in order to create the despecialized editions for us so that we can see the, the story that was originally told that so that we're not subjected to the revisionist history of Star Wars, if that makes any sense. It's a good story as is. It doesn't right. need revision. Right. You know? Yeah. No, yeah, I absolutely and it, agree. And it's, <laughs> and it's the same and it's the same reason that I think that certain facts in reality are, are altered, you know, for for preservation of ide- ideology. That makes any sense. Yeah. Could you explain that? Well, I think that, that there are times that stories get altered, new stories, other things get altered. Um to preserve a certain are we making veiled political comments now yeah okay there we go got it (laughs) (laughs) to preserve a certain a certain narrative to preserve a certain narrative or to retell reframe a narrative right that makes any sense okay got it now got it Mm -hmm. i wasn't i thought that might be what you were saying but i wasn't entirely sure Mm -hmm. well i mean but but i think movie telling in general has become political I don't know that it started out that way. I don't know that in 1977 it was that way, but now it is. Well, I mean, going back to even in the uh, the 80s, um, you know, was it the early 80s with George Romero? I mean, George Romero used his films to enact political commentary as well. Enacting political commentary is one thing, but being controlled, having your narrative be controlled is another and i think that now in current in current movie telling or movie in current movie making in many many ways narratives are controlled um, by studios and i don't necessarily think that in 1977 or in the 80s that was true no i don't think people understood if it was true then uh, the republic would not be called the republic it would be called the democrat (laughs) (laughs) so true um but I think I think that this is this is the the climate we live in in that we are very that the money is highly politicized by studios that contribute to things and have certain ideologies in the whole business and therefore your narrative is controlled and I think that we wouldn't probably have gotten the same story in 2016 that we would have in no. 1977. Simple as that. Right. Yep. And and the way money is handled has completely been altered by many, many factors. And, you yeah, know. Reflects, art reflects everything else going on yeah. around it. Yeah. So. Mm. so, to wrap up, because we're. We're a little over an hour at this point, and we promised Jeanette that this would be a shorter podcast than usual. Okay, and I and I think that this is just about average for us. Not okay. not our longest, but not our shortest. Ant Man might have been our shortest, actually. I think yeah, yeah, it was pretty. It short. was like forty five minutes. Honestly, though, I think that we're probably going to be able to do shorter with uh, the Phantom Edit. Oh well. What's there to say? What's there to say? Except yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they're the. You hate me. Other than that, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I think we can draw some comparisons between whiny Anakin and whiny Luke. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, the family resemblance did come out. Quite yeah. Sure. So, 
So there is that. More, more to discuss in yep. two episodes. Um, yep, yep. And we're aiming for five minute podcast. We're aiming for Wednesday night, so we'll nice. see. We'll see if we're we are we have great success with that or not. Yep. Um, but I can't actually give this a rating, and this is the first time I'm perhaps the only time I'll ever abstain from this, and I think that I think that that's okay. Um, because it's just there's too much other too many other too much other static involved in this movie that I I can't filter out the actual movie from the 1980 some odd baggage it holds to be very fair. Um, I think that's refreshing. So, you know, and so I know Jeanette had said it's a 4.5 for her and I can't imagine like 40,000. Yeah. I can't imagine what rich is, you know, I mean, we we have a five point scale. It's that's it. This is, this is the pinnacle. It is the, it is the 5.0. It is the 5.0. So I think this might be our highest rated movie, removing myself from the, the voting pool because I can't vote, um, that I think this might be our highest rated movie that we've ever sort of podcasted on. I think so. Out of out of the 16 that we've reviewed or the 15 plus. I mean. Oh, 14. I, yeah, yeah. 14. I, I think it is. I mean, collectively, the average is going to wind up being a 4.75, which, you know, there's only, there's only one other movie that got a 4.75, and that was just for one person. And it is counterbalanced by the 1.5 or whatever it was given on the other side. <laughs> but that, that's another discussion that we're never getting to. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so there, there was that. Um, and ironically enough, had uh, I'm sorry? We all had good opinions of, um, of one of the Iron Mans, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we all had pretty good opinions. But I don't think, I don't think the scores surpassed 4.5. Okay. Because I think... Uh, I think I think I gave Iron Man a four, four or five. Okay. So, uh, you might have given it a four or four or five. I think I think the Iron Man's uh, Iron Man's were all four or four point five higher. Yeah. I think yeah, one and then, of and then five. yeah, and Danae was up there too. So so yeah, I mean that's that's pretty good. But um, but yeah, I think the average wise, it winds up it winds up uh, winds up being on top there. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, obviously in my opinion, like rightfully so, like it's just. You know, it, it's it's the film, it's like the grandfather of the reason why we do this podcast. You know what I mean? Like it's without without the impact, the cultural impact that Star Wars had when it came out in '77. You know, film studios might not have been as courageous and and willing to to take such risks as they did because if it wasn't for A New Hope's success, you know, Ridley Scott wouldn't have gotten his money the next year. And then Alien wouldn't have happened, because Fox again took the took the uh, took the roll of the dice on him and said, "You know what? All right, you want to do another movie in space? Only this time you want to make it so that when people see it, they'll never sleep again." Okay, cool. Well, well let's try that. You know, and then of course Lucas gets his money and an infusion to then start another storytelling adventure about a dude that looks a lot like Han Solo and acts a lot like Han Solo only has a, a whip and a, and a hat, you know? And it takes place in the past instead of the galaxy. Right. Exactly. And then tells, you know, like, not necessarily similar stories, but similarly themed stories. Yeah. You know, about, like, an evil empire that's trying to do awful, awful things and, you know, how magic mystical forces may or may not have anything to do with the saving of this other world that, that it, you know, they're trying to save, maybe. 
In my defense, I was blowing my nose. Yep. Um, hopefully no one could hear that because I muted it. But yep. are we talking about Indiana Jones? Yes, yes, 100%. <laughs> yes, 100%. Yeah. Um, you know, but but it's like, you know, it's, it's I don't know, it's just, it's that thing. It's the thing. Yes. I don't know what that means. Well, it's, it's like the thing that belongs to my fanboy heart. My fanboy heart will always belong to a new hope. And that's okay. Like one, 100%. 100%. Yeah, because it's this is so impa- it's so impactful, mm-hmm. um, you know. But as far as like, well, it, it, maybe even like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe it inspired even the the young the young filmmaker to do independent things because even though Star Wars wasn't an independent film, it was made by independent roots. Right. You know, if it, if it wasn't for the tenacity of George Lucas that you know none of that would have ever happened but as far as also george lucas goes and a lot of people rag on him now like he's some crazy old man you know like he might be almost like ben kenobi <laughs> some 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 old you know damn old fool wizard living in living in a in a hut you know like you in know, the middle of nowhere in the middle of nowhere so true um you know if it wasn't for him and the team that made that film special effects houses wouldn't be like they are today you know, half of the technology that is used in modern filmmaking, thanks to the god awful prequel trilogy, also would not have happened, because it was it was him and his team at ILM that that made everything possible. You know, the reason why there's a certification for theaters and sound is because of Star Wars. It's why THX exists. It's why yeah. THX is called THX because it's a reference to his student film. I feel as if though we are getting into topics that I can't discuss until till next weekend when we yeah. discuss uh, what are we discussing? Uh, we no Wednesday we're doing the Phantom Edit. Yep. I mean next this, this coming weekend next weekend. Oh yeah, we're doing uh, the Force Awakens. Thank yep. you. Yes, okay. So so we're so, so yeah. the lineup is just in case you missed our last podcast. So we're doing the today we did a New Hope. Um, Tomorrow we Empire. should be posting Empire Strikes Back. Wednesday we're doing Hell. Wednesday we're doing Hell, otherwise known as the Phantom <laughs> Edit, because Rich decided not to protract our misery. Um, and it still caused some. <laughs> oh my goodness! It wasn't protracted though. <laughs> so uh. we we will be doing the Phantom Edit because we're we're choosing to watch these in the machete order, yep. and then. Um, Friday night, depending on what time the G gets in and how well she is feeling. Yep. By then, I will be completely on the mend and up for whatever. And cool. so, when she arrives to the Bacon Ice Cream Studios, we will possibly be podcasting on Friday night. Otherwise, we will be doing a double feature on Saturday yep. of The Return of the Jedi, originally titled The Revenge of the Jedi. Yep. Interesting. Yep. yep. Well, we'll have to have that discussion. And then um, The Force Awakens, which we will be seeing in IMAX on Saturday. Yes. So we have a fun fun week, fun post-holiday week ahead of us. Yep. And things to look forward to for those of you listening. Absolutely. Speaking of that, Happy New Year, everyone. Oh, yeah. Happy Happy New New Year. Year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, What a good way to ring it in. Yeah. Some some really awesome films. So, um, all right, cool. So... So yeah, we'll table all that other discussion for later podcasts. Mm-hmm. And until then, um, I'm Rich. I'm Janae. And I'm Jeanette. And we thank you so much for listening to Sharp Angles. And of course, chime in. 
We're still there. Sharp Angles, B-I-C, on Twitter. Um, Sharp Angles at BaconIceCream.com is the email address. And I still don't have any uh, messages other than from robots. So you guys don't get the number. So Also, no response from one Jim yeah. regarding the throwdown yeah, at I mean, the Black Horse regarding Thor. Exactly. Saying. Come on. So Jim Gass, All You Can Geek, another cool podcast. They did a spoiler cast of Force Awakens. You can check that out. I talked about how uh, Force Awakens made a billion dollars in like 12 days. It's pretty good. Yeah. So anyway, other than that, yeah, maybe he can listen to, to our podcast, catch up, and then we'll have, finally have the throwdown. So listen, Jim, listen. So anyway. Um, he's not listening. He's not going to hear that. So yeah. <laughs> so all right. All right, guys. Well, on behalf of all of us, we thank you, and uh, we'll see you next time on Sharp, Sharp Angles. Bye. Bye, guys. See you guys. Bye, babies. <laughs> <laughs>